This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com Sometimes Sometimes the house does Ashgach in a very, very simple and sweet way and that's really what happened on Shabbos is, is you know, many, many, many wonderful Jews have used their talents to bring the Lubavitch Rebbe into the world. Not just to bring them out to the world, because the Chabadskis know how to do that very well, to get things out, but to but to bring the Sikhs into the language of of our times. The English and clear. There are a number of people who have done that. One of them is somebody actually, we have this course of having in our community in Orphan Davids here, and has been working on the Rebbe Sikhs for many, many years, a Jew by the name of Tauber, Yankee Tauber. And and this, He's been putting out uh, sikhs for years in, in English, and he gives me this form, and, and this, the, the, most, the most recent one, I believe, is this called The Inside Story on Bracious. And I hadn't had a chance to look at it. I pretty much have gone through uh, thousands of the Rebbe sikhs over the years, without exaggeration. And um, I usually enjoy them in the, in the original, either in the, in the Lashon HaKadosh, or to try to make my way through the Yiddish sikhs. And the English is not always so comfortable for me, even though it's my native language, but I prefer to see it in Lashon HaKadosh, or in Yiddish. And, and I just felt like picking this up yesterday, and it's, and it sums up everything that we've been talking about and puts into perspective exactly what we're doing. So I said, so we could also do something in English, we'll take a little bit, a pre-Hanukkah, I wouldn't say that it's relaxing, because you'll see that it's not relaxing at all. <laughs> but it's, it's strong, but it's what we're doing. And, and, and Tauber did a beautiful, beautiful job with the Rebbe Sicha to make it clear. And, and I think we could do it this in, in, in 40 minutes. We can go through this. The English goes very quickly. And it's not going to require explanation, because it's really what we're doing. But it puts everything together into perspective, and, and we'll be able to move to, to the next chalik of our conversations. This is this is what we just are living through. You see, it begins page two two eighty six, right? They wrote this here. So of course, Yishlach Yaakov Malachim Yaakov Yaakov and Esav. Okay, we encounter the dilemma in many forms. Now again, this is like Chazara and putting everything together. We encounter the dilemma in many forms. Which should defer to the other, clarity or profundity, structure or intensity? If too much energy is concentrated in one place, a system short-circuits, explodes, or at best operates in a chaotic manner. <coughs> to be applied coherently, a force must be restrained, tempered, and ordered. Undoubtedly, however, this diminishes its power and reach. In the language of Kabbalah, the dilemma is presented in terms of light and containers, or and kalim, or and kalim, oiris and kalim. <coughs> Indeed, explain the Kabbalists, there exist two levels of reality. There is tohu, the world of chaos, a world of much light and scant containers. Tremendous iris, but scant containers in which everything is boundless and uncompromising. That's the way of Torah. Love is total, 
and indiscriminate. The, the one of Tahu is always looking for love, but very often in the wrong places. The same is true of discipline, beauty, ambition, and all the other forces that make up a world. Although these are all positive forces, indeed every aspect of Hashem's creation is inherently positive and has its positive applications. The tohu environment leads to destruction. In a world of much light and scant containers, the intensity of each force overwhelms all attempts to define and direct it. In the chaos of tohu, everything self-destructs. As it is untempered energy, its untempered energy cannot be contained even by its own self-defining parameters. So you're looking for that one. For example, love is the drive to be close to someone and act kindly toward them. But the parent who loves their child too much to discipline him or her will ruin the child's life, accomplishing the very opposite of love. You often have that the child is dafke in a place of tikkun and the parent is in a place of tohu. It's not always like we've been discussing mostly dealing with children of tohu or are predominantly tohu, but often you have a parent that is very strong tohu, and the child is coming from a place of tikkun. A single-minded love, one that leaves no room for anything that even resembles unloving behavior, even as a means to its own ends, ultimately un- undermines itself. Back on top. Then there is tikkun, the world of correction, <coughs> a world of broad containers and little light. Tremendous containers, but the iris, the R is small. Its defining and regulating elements, the containers, are broad and formidable. They temper the potency of the various forces so that they may coexist and even incorporate aspects of each other. While Tikkun lacks the power and intensity of Tohu, it is a world that focuses its energies in an orderly and constructive manner. I'm hoping that this brings back memories of all that we've been talking about, so we've been discussing. Ultimately, the goal is to attain the best of both worlds, to fill the broad containers of Tikkun with the immense light of Tohu, to harness the tremendous potential existing within the wild, untamed elements of creation as a cohesive and constructive force. Our sages tell us that originally Hashem was creating worlds and destroying them. So that our current existence is built upon the debris of these earlier worlds. Hasidic teaching clarifies that we are not speaking of worlds that predate ours in time, but of loftier levels of existence. Tohu creations in which there is such a tremendous involvement and presence on the part of the Creator that the created reality is unable to receive and digest it. The very definitions of existence simply melt down in the face, next page, of this overwhelming dose of divine energy. Our world of correction of Tikkun is built on the ruins of these destroyed worlds. Hashem engineered this full start. This is done, of course, intentionally. This is how Hashem made the world. Hashem engineered this full start of His creation so that our existence should include both elements, the pure and sacred elements of our world 
are his ordered and perfected tikkun aspects. The material and the mundane, the physical material and mundane, are the shattered vessels of the tohu meltdown, amid which are scattered sparks of immense light, outwardly negative, is what we pick up in the children all the time, in ourselves, outwardly negative, but with tremendous potential locked within. Every time we utilize something of the material world for a good and godly purpose, remember I mentioned last week, the teaching from Avkuk and Erzat Tezayin, I think I said Tezvav, but it's Tezayin, where Avkuk speaks about every, every single type of work, any contribution made to taking something from an unfinished state to a finished state. Whatever that work is, if it's a, if it's like the story that, that I've said a few times when Rabbi Levine saw the, the sweet Swadish street cleaner in the old city of Yushalayim, and he was so tzibroch, and he didn't want Rabbi to see the broom, and Rabbi said to him, I'm a Kanyu, I'm jealous of you. You're, you're cleaning the streets of Yushalayim, Yushalayim is Hashem's city, and you're making it beautiful, you're making it beautiful. And in that, Ayur Zadkhir of Kok speaks about, I have it's on the, it's on the desk of that Rav Kook speaks about how every malachan, every every anything that a person does that's constructive, that takes the world and makes it better, is the is the is the work of tikkun. Every time we utilize something of the material world for good for a good and godly purpose, we unleash this potential and capture it in the broad containers of the world of correction, of the world of tikkun. <coughs> This process is the history of mankind. And what we were discussing last week at the end was the chizik, the tremendous chizik that comes from seeing life and history in this way. That when there's a nisayin that comes our way, or your way, each one of us, when we have a nisayin, instead of looking and saying, oh, everything I did until now was stupid, was a waste, and I never accomplished anything, because now I have a big nisayin that I ever had. But that all that means is that your container, it's time for your container to become bigger. It's time for you to be able to, to bring out more of who you are. And there's a new level of Toru that you have to, that you're challenged by, and you have to, you have to strengthen yourself and expand yourself and broaden yourself to have a bigger clea to receive that art. It's not depressing. It's hard. It's hard. Going to a new job is also very, very hard. It'd be much easier to stay at the old place that you're familiar with, even though it was much less money. But you're familiar with it, you know that, and you've overcome the discomfort of being in that old place of work. The new place of work requires a broadening, a strengthening of the kalim. There's stronger iris in the new place. They have bigger expectations of you. Many people would rather stay in their old place of work, even though they say, I hate the boss, I hate the office, I hate everything, I hate and uh, I, I can't stand being in that place. So why are you, why are you still there? I mean, you know, I'm used to it. I'm used to it. So that, that, is a, that, is a, 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 that person can be stuck in that place without bigness, Yanis, but without very big accomplishments. <coughs> without big accomplishments. When it's time for us to move, not just with work, but anything in life, so of course... There are going to be stronger iris that are thrown our way. Our job is to is to be able to construct, to expand ourselves, to be able to receive these iris in a healthy way, and to deal with them. And then there are the nisyanis that come up when it's time to move forward. They come from the world of tohu, and our job is tikkun.
This process is the history of mankind. At the end last week I mentioned how communism was unleashed into the world, such a powerful force of communism. And there are other things. Communism and Zionism, these are very powerful, powerful kaiches of Torah that, that, if they're not used correctly, can be terribly destructive. But when they're, but when they're brought into Kalim of Tikkun, then we're, then we're dealing with powerful Ahavas Ejisrael. We're dealing with powerful, powerful Ahavas Chavayim and Deepu Chavayim and so on. All of the things that, that, that in Tikkun can be, can be used in a positive way. This process is the history of mankind. Each generation develops more of the Tohu potential until all the negative in the world is sublimated and the infinite goodness it contains, as opposed to the relatively finite goodness of the manifestly positive, of that which is easy and not hard to figure out, which is manifestly positive, means the good kid in the house is that's not, with the, that's not, the, 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 uh, that's not the challenge, obviously, the, the easy kid in the house is redeemed. This will ultimately yield the world of Mashiach, a world devoid of evil, ignorance, and suffering, a world that expresses the infinite goodness and perfection of its creator. Now, this is all played out, of course, with Yaakov and Esau, which I mentioned just in passing. Based on the above, the Balatanya, tonight is your test slave. The Balatanya interprets the deeper significance of Yaakov's confrontation with Esau, recounted in the 33rd parak of Bereshis. Twenty years earlier, Yaakov had fled to Charon because his brother Esau desired to kill him. Now he believes that Esau is ready for a reconciliation. But the messengers he sends to his brother report that Esau still harbors his hatred and his murderous intentions. Yaakov implements a three-pronged strategy for dealing with Esau, tefillah, davening, prayer, appeasement, daron, a gift, and war, mulchama. First, he prays for Hashem's protection and help. Second, he sends a huge gift to Esau to gain his favor. Third, he prepares for battle. Then he sets out for his encounter with his twin brother. Yaakov explains the Baltanya as the Ishtam, the wholesome and, and integral man, and dweller in the tents of learning, Yilashavahalim, represents the correctness of Tikkun. Yaakov represents, that Tamimus of Yaakov represents the correctness of Tikkun. <coughs> and we were talking about this, how Yaakov would have been happy marrying Rachel, and they would have, and they would have lived that life of that comfortable life of Tikkun till 120. But Hashem's Bach has other plans, not only for Yaakov, but for all of Yaakov's descendants. Esav, the arch-materialist, a man of the field and cunning trapper, personifies the collapsed world of Tohu, a coarse and volatile world, with its infinite potential for good locked within. Yaakov's mission in life was to constructively unleash his brother's potential. This to him is the key to the ultimate redemption, the ultimate fusion of Toru and Tikkun. So when Yaakov believed that Esau was ready to yield his immense light to the broad containers, Yaakov believed that the time had come, that the iris, the powerful, uncontrolled Toru, the iris of Esau, would somehow be able to be brought together with through him into the into the Kalim of Tikkun to the broad containers that will focus and direct it, he felt that the time for the final redemption had arrived. Yaakov believed that that meeting would bring to the final redemption the merging of Iris of Toh and Kalim of Tikkun and the ultimate yichah between those two kaiches.
When Yaakov realized that Esav was still his enemy, he embarked on the three courses of action we must follow in dealing with the material world, davening, appeasement, and war. <clears throat> we must acknowledge that we cannot do it on our own and appeal to Hashem for direction and fortitude. We're going to talk about that in Hashem, the davening that parents can do. So it's a very big Indian. We'll talk about that later on. At the same time, we must deal with the world on its own terms and be ready to expend our time, energy, and resources on the endeavor to refine and elevate it. And we must forever be vigilant. So that's the meaning of dorum, of the, of the offering. And we must forever be vigilant, ready to combat its negative influences. Next page. What happens when the brothers meet? The biblical narrative indicates, page 290. It turned out blank. So what's the next page that you have? 294. There must be a two-sided sheet, though. Oh, boy. All right. It's going to take this. Just try to listen. I'm sorry. Wow. It's my fault. I must have missed it. I must have missed putting into one of the things. Okay. So just listen. That's it. It's easy to just listen. We'll come back to it. I guess we'll catch up in a minute. So what happens when the brothers meet? Sorry. What happens when the brothers meet? The biblical narrative indicates that Yaakov's efforts achieve their desired result. The first indication of this is Yaakov's night-long battle with the angel, who represents the spirit of Esau, the sar of Esau, the ma'avak. The two wrestle all night, raising dust to the throne of divine glory. And when the cosmic dust settles, Yaakov is the victor. The celestial Esau, having been won over, the contest between the persons of Yaakov and Esau follows suit. When the two brothers meet the next day, Esau has a change of heart. So as a result of that ma'avak, the match between Yaakov and Sarushal Esau, something changes. Because the next day is when the two brothers meet. And when the two brothers meet, the Torah says, Esau ran towards him and embraced him, and he fell upon his neck and kissed him, and they wept. Now, you know, of course, as a machlokis chazal, whether or not that kiss was sincere, was coming from love. <coughs> the, the overriding majority of, of Mepharshim and the Mekubalim hold that it was absolutely sincere. That that kiss was a sincere kiss. That it came from a very, very deep place inside of Esau. Following their emotional reunion, Asa proposes that the two brothers join forces. So Lechaira, this joining forces is exactly what Yaakov was looking for, right? Because now Asa, Yaakov was missing something in his tamimus, in his pashtas, in his, in his state of tikkun, he was missing, he was missing the energy, the animalism, the energy, the tohu, of the, and the iris, that, that level of R of Esau. So, so now this looks like this is going to be great. So Esau proposed that the two brothers join forces. Esau said, let us journey and we should go on and I will go alongside you. It's the whole parish is this. That's why at the end of Yishlach is the, is the, the, the kings. Which we know is the sod of the of Shavir Zakeilam. Tau and Tikkun, that's all at the end of Parshish of Yishlach. 
all of a sudden with the whole Seder of the kings. So Asaph says, let us journey, we shall go on, and I will go alongside you. So this sounds great. This is what this is what Yaakov was hoping for. This is what he believed, he understood that his father and his grandfather wanted. This is the Sula Mutzavarza, heaven and earth. So Yaakov's response, the Rebbe explains, is perhaps the most puzzling aspect of the entire account. Yaakov said to him, My Lord knows that the children are tender, and that the young flocks and cattle are a care to me. I have to take care of. Please let my Lord go on instead of his servant. I will lead on slowly, according to the pace of the work before me, and to the pace of the children, until I come to my Lord to see here. So Chazal said, We have searched the whole of Scripture and did not find that Yaakov ever went to Asaph by Haiseyu. Chazal said, We looked through the whole Tanakh. He never went. When will he come to him? When will Yaakov come? In the Messianic era? When the saviors will ascend it says when the saviors will ascend Mount Zion to judge the mountains of Esau. So only, only by Mashiach will Yaakov actually go to the place of Esau to Haseyah. That's the Medrash Ambracious. The result of Yaakov's refusal was that from this point on in their lives, the brothers part ways. So Yaakov says we have to part ways. Esav returns to Seir alone, while Yaakov continues in his journey to Eretz He settles in Hebron, and more than 30 years later moves to Mitzrayim, where he spends the final 17 years of his life. Their brotherly meeting remains but a brief sign of a future Tohu Tikkun union yet to be fulfilled. There was a moment, that kiss, there was a moment, where Tohu and Tikkun were kissing. Why does Yaakov refuse Esav's offer? The journey together to say it. And to fully implement the union of Tohu and Tikkun. Why? 292. You, you don't have that either? Hi, right, I'm, I'm just messed up. Okay. See, the English is hard. <laughs> Couldn't work it out, the English. Okay, I apologize. Listen. <coughs> Relax a little. Make me like it's bedtime. You had a bathroom. <laughs> favorite teddy bear next to you. <laughs> Cookies. <laughs> Regarding the ultimate rhythm. So why? So so what happened? So what? What's going on? Well, Yaakov. Yaakov. It seems that he should have grabbed the opportunity. It was sincere. So regarding the ultimate redemption, so the Rebbe explains. Regarding the ultimate redemption, the era of universal peace and perfection, it will usher in. The Navi Yeshaya prophesies, I, Hashem, will hasten it in its time. And Yashem, Be'ita Ahishan. I will hasten it in its time. Whereupon the Gemara asks, if the redemption will come in its time, then by, nef- by, then by definition, it has not been hastened. And if it is hastened, it is not in its time. That's the Gemara's question. It's either Be'ita or Ahishan. It's either going to be the final time, which is Be'ita or Ahishan. It's fast. The Gemara explains that the Navi is speaking of two possible routes by which the redemption may come about. If mankind is in a state of merit, zachu, im zachu, it will be hastened. If, however, lo zachu, if we're not merit, if we don't merit, then the ghoul of the redemption will come in its time. Hasidic teaching adds 
that in a certain sense, a redemption that comes in its time is greater than a hastened redemption. This was the choice that Yaakov had. The choice, even though it's painful, because it looked like Yaakov should have grabbed the opportunity, but Chassidus teaches that in a certain sense, a redemption that comes in its time is greater than a hastened redemption. Now, as parents, we all want, when we watch the kids growing up, which gula do we want? Do we want Be'ita or do we want Achishana? Achishana. We want Achishana. We want the gula of our children to be fast. Fast and furious. Everything terrific. Best kid, everything's beautiful. Inside, out. We want Achishana. Achishana. Moshe was very angry at the end of, uh, at the end of and he says to Hashem, "Since I came to power, so Hashem says, what, what, what? what do you think this is over here? We're talking about Gula. Moshe ben Hazetayna. You told me. Remember, we had a whole shmuz that I'm going to come and I can take him out. It's going to be a Gula, and they're going to go there to sell. We're going to get the term, go there to sell. We're going to have a base of mikdash, all that good <coughs> stuff. So, like, what's taking so long?" It's gotten worse. So Moshe Ben also wanted, Moshe Ben was also pushing for sudden redemption, for sudden redemption. The Indian is different than the Indian Valley. Oh, have time to go into right now. But, but there is that natural instinct that says, take it now. Take the redemption now. And in the past, we have fallen for false redemptions. Not just by Shabzai Tzvi, other times in our history that something looked good, it looked like this is it, and and because of the pain of Golas, we couldn't bear waiting anymore. This is something which is instinctive, and this is what parents are doing to their children all the time. When they try to, when they try to force a sudden redemption, a hastened redemption, a hastened, the Rebbe explains that a hastened redemption is one that is imposed on a still imperfect world from above. The nature of reality has not itself changed, but has been overwhelmed by an infusion of divine light. Again, what parents are doing. We spoke months ago about, about the need for Tzimtzum, when raising children, to hold back the light. So the Rebbe explains that a hastened redemption, it looks great, but it's still one that's imposed on a still imperfect world from above. The nature of reality has not itself changed, but has been overwhelmed by an infusion of divine light. And by the way, so you know that that kid might might look like that, might look very good for a, a week, a month, a year, or two years. But at some point, there's a Shabbos HaKelem. On the other hand, a redemption coming in its time, even though it's hard and, and it hurts, a redemption coming in its time means that the world has been transformed from within at its own pace. Like Yaakov says to Esav, Vani, no, es nahala li'iti. You could run ahead. I'm moving at my own pace. Because I don't want to leave any of the children behind. That's what he says. Not only the children, even the animals. Which on a deeper level means I don't want to leave the Jews who sometimes look like animals. I'm not leaving any Jew behind. No one is being left behind. The world has been transformed when it's in its time within it, from within, in its own, at its own pace, by its own internal processes. Thus it is, a deeper and tr- it is deeper and truer than a hastened redemption. 
So you could scream at your eight-year-old, like, why isn't he going to shul? How come he's not davening? Because you want to have an achishan. You want your kid to be a davener. And it's much harder to watch the kid going, eight, nine, ten, eleven, go home. I don't mean a clock. That's, that's, I mean years going by. And, and he still doesn't seem to want to daven. So you could do the achishana. You could try the rushed redemption with the kid. <clears throat> and you could, you could force the iris in, in a very strong way, but the kid doesn't have the kalim, as opposed to the ita. As opposed to Be'ita. When the redemption takes place, Be'ita, it is deeper and truer than a hastened redemption. One way to understand the difference between these two modes of redemption is through an analogy familiar to us from everyday life. The Rebbe used this railroad travel. He was an engineer, you know that by, by profession. He was an engineer. Not an engineer on a train. <laughs> Electronics. <laughs> physics, electronics. So the marshal is as follows. A railway system offers two modes of travel, by express train or via a local line. The express tra train takes its passengers swiftly and directly to their destination. The local train travels more slowly and makes many stops along the way. These stops are of two types. There are minor stations at which the train stops for but a short while to take on passengers, and there are major stations that are of a lengthier duration. For here, not only human passengers are received into the train, but also livestock and other cargoes. Oh, that's not in Manhattan, although... <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll, we'll stop with that. So, this is a time-consuming operation, for animals are frightened by the commotion, for good reason. They're on their way to being de-animalized and converted into human nourishment. And the cargo being loaded is heavy and bulky. So these are longer stops. Before the train pulls out from the station, it sounds its whistle to notify the passengers who are busy with their bundles, who have perhaps forgotten what they have, uh, what, what, that they have a journey to make, that it is time to embark. Once, twice, three times the whistle blows, and when this too is to no avail, the train begins to slowly move to show that it means business and that this is the last chance to hop on before it picks up speed and leaves the station behind. Every person's reality consists of three basic components, a godly soul, an efficient kiss, an efficient Bahamas, an animal soul, and a physical self. At the core of our being is our godly soul, the spark of divinity that drives our quest for transcendence <clears throat> higher. This is the human in us, that which distinguishes the human being from all other creations. And folding the godly soul is an animal soul whose drives and instincts the human beings share with other living beings. These include the drives for self-preservation, self-propagation, and self-fulfillment. In the human being, these might take on more civilized and sophisticated forms, but they remain, in essence, animal drives and instincts. Extrinsic to both the godly and animal souls is our physical body and physical environment. This is the third most most material and lifeless element this you should have. 294. And lifeless element of our reality, devoid even of the limited spirituality of the animal soul. A hastened redemption embraces only the godly soul of man. A hastened redemption speaks the language of the Nefesh Elokis, which is by nature receptive to the divine. The Nefesh Elokis loves Elokis, and it's receptive to Elokis. You tell the Nefesh Elokis, Davin. The Nefesh Elokis is already up davening before you say that. Not Davin, that's what I do. I love that. I identify with that. A hastened redemption embraces only the godly soul of man. 
which is by nature receptive to the divine. The two other components, the animal soul and the material world, are only affected from without. They might be swept along when the divine spark of the godly soul erupts into flame. Now, we can do that with our kids too, when they're exposed to the beauty of, of learning and so on and, and of Yiddishkeit. They might be swept along with the divine spark of the godly soul erupts into flame, but they themselves <coughs> have not truly been redeemed. But they haven't truly been redeemed. Life is thus comparable to a railway. There are express trains that take the direct route to the end of the line. But these carry only passengers of the highest class. Small town passengers, this is the way trains worked in back in Russia and, and in many places in the world till, till this day. We're just not used to this in, the, in New York, but this is how trains work. So the ones who are on the express trains, that uh, those are the more expensive line, like first class type of people, so that's uh, the shamas of, of Tohu, of Tikkun, Elokus, is shining very, very brightly. And and they want to go directly to the, they want to take the train, the direct route to the end of the line. Yeshar, yeshar, to the end of the line. So. But these carry only passengers of the highest class. Small town passengers, animals, and inanimate cargo, the body, are too cumbersome for so speedy a ride. The local train carries them all. Stragglers, animals aspiring to be absorbed by the human, raw materials aspiring toward human utility, what human beings can do with the world at work. The world, all that exists, is a slow train. It's the local. And everything must be on that train. That's what Gula is. The local train carries them all, stragglers, animals aspiring to be absorbed by the human, raw materials aspiring toward human utility. There are many stations on this journey of longer or shorter duration according to need. There are second and third warnings for those lagging behind. There are many types of cars designed for the particular needs of every type of passenger. Different, different Jews with different personalities, different human beings, different ways of being able to be drawn close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, not Davka this way, Davka that way. All this makes for a more laborious progress toward the ultimate destination. It's bi'ita. It takes time. But while the express train achieves its objective more swiftly and smoothly, its achievements are narrower in scope and shallower in depth than those of the local train. Because the, because the express train only brought that, that the elite to their final destination. And the truth is that the, in the Nimshal, even the elite didn't get to the final destination. That's the truth. So the achievements, it got there, but the achievements are narrower in scope and shallower in depth than those of the local train. Now this is what Yaakovina's choice was, the Rebbe explains. This was the choice that Yaakov faced at the moment of his encounter with Esau. At that point, Yaakov could have effected a top-down redemption. His own self embodied his own <coughs> self embodied the corrected world of Tikkun. Yaakov is the world of Tikkun. His twin brother incorporated volatile forces of Tohu. 
the Isha Sada, the man of the field, Tohu. His twin brother incorporated volatile forces of Tohu. Their reunion could have served as the catalyst that would have elevated the whole of creation. So that's what the question was originally. So then why didn't why didn't Yaakov after that kiss? And Asaph's offer. Asaph said, So I need you. Asaph is basically saying, I need you. So let's travel together. We'll go through this together. Tohu and Tikum, the twins. We'll go through this together. So that could have served as the catalyst that would have elevated the whole of creation. Should the union of spirit and matter be achieved by the hand of two archetypal personalities whose monumental doings will drive the whole of creation to a hasten redemption? This was the question. We have these two opposites, Mamish. The Aris of powerful, powerful Aris of Tohu and the gentle Ishtam of Tikkun which means the union of spirit and matter, of neshama and guf. Esav is the guf, and Yaakov is the neshama. Should this be achieved by the hand of two completely, completely opposite personalities, whose monumental doings will drive the whole of creation to a hastened redemption? That was the question. Yaakov elected to instead take the long and slow road, which you recall from the Alter Rebbe's introduction to Tanya. It's the question that he was dealing with of how to teach Pneumisatar, how to <coughs> teach Chassidus. There's the short, long road, and there's a long, short way. And, and the Alter Rebbe chose to take the long, short way. The longer way is difficult, and there are many, many stops, but it guarantees that every single passenger will get there. Let's, let's just finish this list thing. It guarantees that. He chose to lead on slowly according to the pace of the work before me. With a redemption that transpires in the lives of individuals and nations spanning many generations and centuries. He chose a path to redemption that involves and imparts significance to every particular of God's creation, including the tender children, and even the young flocks and cattle, and even the animals. Yeah, sure. So obviously, one of the Lubavitcher's greatest, greatest, great uh, contributions was his whole to keep the Yeshua we want Mashiach now. So how does that stem with this idea of um, the... There was no person more than the Rebbe in the, in the generation, of course, that that was pushing for, for the, because the Rebbe believed that the time of Birurim had ended and it had come to the time of Yichudim, which he said very often. And and he believed that 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 history had already, history is already winding down and we're already at the point of reconciliation. Even on the outside, it doesn't look like that, but on the but the Rebbe from the way the Rebbe saw the world with his remarkable vision, how he saw everything. The world was, was, and the world is, I, I, I believe, 100% that the world is, is ready for that. And any time that on the Shem of, of Tikkun now takes the time to sit down and have a conversation with the Nisham of Tohu, it works. And of, and, of, and of this, I have to tell you, that the things that are going on, it's not, I'm not telling you a Chiddush. My wife showed this to me, and I have Shabbos, 
and and I was crying like a baby. And then last night I, I asked it to play it again on. I sounds like to, to play something on the phone, but I guess so you play things on the phone nowadays. The song. Uh, uh, there's uh, there are these these two guys, these two Swedish uh, Israelis. There was a concert in Israel. I don't know when this was. I think recently. The names are the names are Ofer uh, Omer Adam. That's one. The other guy's name is Moshe Peretz. The two Sfarim. Any of you see this? No. So there's a stadium. I don't know which stadium. It's in Yerushalayim. <coughs> so it must be, I think it's by Cali. It, means, it looked like there were 20,000, 30,000 people. All secular. These two guys are not from. They got shaved heads. And the whole audience is all secular Jews. You don't see a in the audience. Looks like 20,000, 30,000 people. Huge. So these guys, these guys are big secular entertainers, next as well. <coughs> so my system, you got to see this, and she puts on this thing. I see these two, these two bald Svardim sitting, you know, uh, on a stage. And so what is this? She's just watch. You got to watch. You got to watch this. I have nothing against bald Svardim. <laughs> <laughs> That's just what happened. <laughs> Some of my best friends are bald Svardim. A couple of them are here right now. So. <laughs> So, the, the, but what is this? What are you showing me over here? She says, you got to see this. So, Chav, you got to see this. This guy, he, he, takes out, he takes out a bag. Each one takes out a little packle, and they put it on the chair. And this one takes out a towel. This one is big. The other one takes out a towel. This is big. All right, it's night. But it's not cold in I don't know what they're taking out of towels. <laughs> and then each one, you know, them usually walk around with the yarmulkes in their pockets, you know. You never know when you have to make a bracha or something. Even the least religious ones. So, so the two guys take out the yarmulkes, and they and then they stand and they put on talisa. And this guy, uh, this Omar Adam, wrote a song from Modani, not Modani that we say in the morning. Smaridik, thanking Hashem for everything in my life, including my my failures and my struggles. And etzake lecha, I scream out to you. And then 20,000 people were singing this song, secular Jews, like the kind that you, that you think that hate Yiddish guy, that would never have anything to do. <laughs> okay, here it is. Send it around. You can't put it on the big screen? It's not Tishabov, you could listen to it. He would listen to Tishabov too. You understand he listen to it. They make a shahiyan on the towels. And everybody's cheering. All these fry Israelis are cheering. Ashkenazim, an answer Each one has to be proud to be a Jew in Eretz Yisrael. That Hashem watches us.
see, the difference between Lubavitcher Rebbe and us is that when Lubavitcher would see a, a, a secular Jew, he would see him singing that song in Yerushalayim, no matter how he looked like on the outside. That's that's how he saw it, and he's right. The ghoul is is mamish this close. The problem is with us, with the firma to be able to reach out to our brothers and sisters. <coughs> it's these are not, you know. You say this 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 is not like it's some kind of a, a shabbaton. They came to hear a secular concert. These are popular secular singers, and this is happening kaseida in our city, in our country, in Eretz Yisrael. Is happening kaseida. Because the time has come, and and Jews are ready, and they want, and if they hear the right message from us, and if we give our children the right message, the time has come, and, and when the Rebbe said, we want Mashiach now, because everything that had to take place has already taken place, and we've already traveled that journey through all of the years and all the Tsars. And you see from such a thing that it's this close. We just have to we have to get over our own insecurities and our own problems to be able to be real and to be honest and to be, we have to have real leaders, real leaders that will take us to the, to this place. You don't think it's possible if we would have if the leaders would be behind it and they would come together, <coughs> all the chesedusha and the litvusha and the svardusha. If all of our leaders and the and the Misnachlam, the Hezda, if all the leaders would come together and, we'd, and there would be a tremendous campaign to, throughout Eretz Israel and to bring all of the Jews together into a stadium ten times this size, there'd be there'd be a, two million Jews singing this, and to be Mekadesh Shem Shemai. Instead, what happens? I was talking to I was talking to Baruch this morning from Yeshiva, that he's in Eretz Israel and and last year he went he went from his Yeshiva he went to Yutes Kislev. And the and the uh, and the yeshiva told him that that's not acceptable. We don't accept that now, yeshiva. You can't have anything to do with these things. And that's not that's not the way for you to grow. So then, so how are we supposed to get together? So instead, these two these two guys got. Uh, they're talking the language of Gula, and, and we're and we're sitting around telling Bochum you can't go to Yudeskis. So this is what we're in right now. But in a second. In a second, it could all change. That's what the generation is mamish read. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.